some things come naturally to SAFM, SAFM. like being SA's news and information leader. SAFM, 104 to 107. Here on the talk shop on SAFM, I'm Naledi Mulewa. We're talking corruption in the workplace, unethical behavior as an instruction from a superior. And I'm in studio with Cynthia Skuman, founder and MD of Ethics Monitor. Cynthia, good evening. Welcome back to the talk shop. Thank you. It's good to have you with us. A bit of background on Ethics Monitor. Uh, it's a business that has been set up really to support organizations, both public and private sector, mm. Embed ethics, make ethics a more effective part of the organization. Right. And now you talk about something that, you know, starts the conversation. Ethics becoming a really big part of the organization. Um, an ethical work environment. Yes. Right. And our discussion today, you know, unethical behavior as an instruction. If you are in a very ethical environment, those sort of things don't take place. They, they really don't. You're absolutely right. And if for some peculiar reason it did, you'd feel quite comfortable within that organization mm. to simply go to another superior and say, oh, wow, what's going on here? And you would feel safe to do so. Right. But unfortunately, that's not always the case in organizations. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, you know, what happens when that is not the case. Um, because what a lot of South Africans may have experienced to understand about what we're talking about is that that employee that's stuck in the middle, that's been told, you know, they've gotten this instruction, it's an unethical instruction, yes. um, may feel cornered. Right? I do this or I don't have a job or I lose my promotion or I don't get that salary increase. Well, that's what makes this such a difficult issue uh, because, of course, the person being asked to do something unethical, they got it. They know it's wrong. Mm. But I've sat with people in workshops who've said, Cynthia, I've got children to support. Mm. They they understand that there are repercussions. Now, you could say to me, ah, oh, but hold on a moment. we got great legislation in this country, and we do. Mm. And you know, most organizations, public and private sector, most of them have their own policies as well that, in theory, protect the whistleblowers. Right. But tell me, what do you see in the press? Mm. Whistleblowers that have perhaps lost their jobs and exactly. so forth. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I still want to maybe look at that word, that whistleblower, and talk about a culture that we have in South Africa. If if the whistleblower is someone that's respected in South Africa, we have a word called in B and B. You know the snitch. I do. The informer. Yes. Do we respect whistleblowers in South Africa? I think you make a great point mm. because the real question is do we treat the whistleblower, the informer, do we treat that person as someone who's standing up with courage for the better of the organization mm. or do we treat them negatively as if they're ratting on someone and all too often, hence your point being so great, all too often we treat people who are standing up very poorly, so there's a further um, facet of discouraging people to speak out. But where does that come from? I mean, we all, and as you say, you know, we all understand what is ethical and what isn't. When there is a whistleblower, why do we victimize that person? Where does that thinking come from? One of the uh, challenging situations that it applies to is that people would argue, ah, but you know what, speaking about someone is is uh, very disloyal. Mm. So they would pitch 
uh, if you want being honest and speaking out, they would put that um, in comparison to loyalty of sort of standing with, you know, your colleagues, your comrades, whatever the mm. case may be. And let's be clear that loyalty is a good thing. Mm. But what about when it's pitched up to prevent being honest? Yeah. And, and that, that is a dilemma. But honesty really is the one that we should try and preserve. Yeah. Could, could we look at a few examples, perhaps cases that you've come across of um, employees that have been cornered into or instructed to do something unethical? There have been any number. You know, I, I quoted a number in my, in my article, mm. and the Open Democracy Action Center did the most excellent work where they took 10 real South Africa, real people, mm. And they explored what had happened to them when they had uh, reported on misconduct. Mm. And look, they did take quite extreme cases. I mean, it was shocking. It, it was a case of you know, one, curse, one person had been killed and now the father was standing up in the, in the son's place around this issue. Mm. So I'm afraid it really listed very real examples. And, and this was the report done last year. Very real examples of not simply uh, a, a bit of subtle victimization, mm. but but very real repercussions. Yeah, is, the, is, the, is the enemy to um, ethical behavior really then loyalty, or is it more of a fear, uh, a fear of what the repercussions are? And we'll look at some of the, the steps that an employee can take, yes. uh, but that fear is a constant theme throughout every single one of those avenues that one could explore. Exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, what eliminates that in an instant is if you have ethical leadership. Mm. If you look at your leadership and you say, you know what, this leadership would never tolerate this, then you're in a completely different space, mm. completely different. Mm. Mm. But we don't have the freedom to make those choices. I mean, one of the things you talk about in your article is the importance of choosing a job within a very ethical environment. But we have, you know, this economy, high rates of unemployment. You can't exactly be picky. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when I really looked at this problem and I thought, okay, how do we deal with it? And let me stress, as, as you've recognized, but our listeners haven't read the article, um, this is a very tough problem. There's no one easy, perfect answer. Mm. But we can say, okay, as you raise, uh, why don't you find a job in an organization that you know is ethical? Well, in a dream ideal mm. situation... Uh, but for many people, you know, you get a reasonable job, you take it mm. um, and deal with what happens there afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's a, desperate, it's a desperate situation. I'm yeah, going to take a few calls um, with questions or comments on our discussion. I'm chatting to Cynthia Skuman, founder and MD of the Ethics Monitor. It's an organization that promotes the proactive management of workplace ethics. So the number to call, 891 um, or send us an SMS to 34701. Let's understand who's gaining what and when and how. I, the employee, perhaps as an example, have been instructed to do something unethical. Is there a benefit for me? Uh, again, an, an important distinction here, because if we take the classic situation where an employee is committing misconduct on their own accord, mm. 
then in general we would understand that they'd be committing that misconduct for some sort of benefit. You know, maybe they want to give their cousin a job or, or their, their, I don't know, uncle the tender or whatever mm. the case may be. But when it's an instruction from your boss, actually there's no benefit in it for you at all. There's only downside mm. because if the misconduct is exposed, uh, who's likely to get the blame? And who is likely to get the blame? I think, as in many, many cases, it is going to be the more junior employee. It's yeah. not going to be the more senior boss. Yeah, that's <laughs> sad. So, so, I mean, it's a, it's a really, you know, catch-22 situation. Mm-hmm. There's no benefit in, in committing the misconduct for the employee. And there's a very real downside. Mm. But, but it takes huge courage and and very real recognition of repercussions to say no. It, it does take courage if I if I then decide to go ahead and, and follow this and obey this instruction, this unethical instruction, and it is later then uncovered. Can, can I then say, oh no, I was just I was just doing what I was told to do. Well, you know, in in law, it goes back, in fact, to post-Second World War. That was an issue that was looked at in terms of international law, Mm. of whether just obeying orders is a a valid defense. And in general, the law stands that it is not a valid defense. Mm. Now, that that it is a real situation is not in question, Mm. but the law in general doesn't recognize it as a valid defense. My goodness. Yeah, you're still complicit in the misconduct, knowingly uh, complicit. All right. So, I, I perhaps I may not have been able to check if the, uh, if the if the company I'm going to be working for or organisation I'm going to be working for is, is an ethical one or not. But I'm I'm already in there. All right. At that point, then I have been given an instruction that is unethical. What are my choices? What can I do? Well, you can refuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you know, say, oh, for goodness sake, um, I would say that's very unethical. I'm entirely sure I misunderstood you. Um, no, that uh, might have the effect of deflecting the instruction, but it also might not. Mm. Someone's saying, no, 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 let's be very clear. The person who's being employed, I don't care how many people you interviewed, it's this one here. Mm. No, I, uh, no, I don't care if those others are better qualified. This is the person who gets the job, no discussion. Mm. You can say, I'm not going to implement that. But as you're saying no, you would be sitting there saying, I wonder what's going to happen if I say no. Yeah. And, and so, yes, of course, one can say no. Um, you, can, uh, you can report it. So you can stall, perhaps, and, and go and report it via an, an ethics hotline. Mm. But even that is not a perfectly safe option. It should be, mm. but even that's not. Yeah, I want to look more at the at, at some of the ethics hotlines that are available in the country, how effective they've actually been. And if, you know, South Africans actually feel that they, they, they'd be protected if they even used that, that platform. But I'll take a few calls if you'd like to be part of our discussion. We're talking unethical behavior in the workplace as an instruction from a superior. So if you are in that position... What is it that you would do? 0891-104207 or send your SMSs to 34701. Great stories told by great personalities. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader.
You're still on the talk shop on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm in studio with Cynthia Skuman, founder and MD of the Ethics Monitor, taking your calls on 0891-104-207 or send your SMSs to me. The number is 34701 and those SMSs are charged at only one rand. Um, so we talked about some of the... Um, a lot of the time you're told that the anonymous you that they're anonymous hotlines and you know these ethics hotlines how effective have those really been in theory they should be effective Mm. in practice mostly they aren't let me qualify that though if we're looking at um, reporting lines like crime line Mm. if we're looking at a reporting line such as the one corruption watch has got mostly those are very effective rather than an in-company one. Now, you would say, but why is there this distinction? And the distinction literally rests on the distance between Mm. the person who's reporting and the person whom they're reporting about. So if you're phoning Crimeline to report about some traffic officer who tried to secure a bribe from you, do you know, you're not going into the office. You're never going to have to interact with that traffic officer Mm. again. But with an in-company system Mm. and you're reporting on your boss, you're having to go into work the very next day and and engage with that person. So that distance between the the reporter and the the alleged uh, offender, Mm. that makes a huge difference. So those uh, reporting lines are generally quite effective. The in-company ones... In theory, they should be effective. They, um, they're almost always uh, operated by external providers, which should add and does add to the security. They, they're um, meant to be anonymous. But here's the problem. They look at the report and say, hmm, someone's put in a report that the petty cash has gone missing. Mm. I mean, I'm using a silly example. How many people would know that? Only a certain number of people would work in that area who could right. understand. Right. So there are opportunities to identify the person based on the information they're sharing. Mm. And and in many cases, I mean, they're, they're happy to, to victimize more than one person. So uh, an, an ethics reporting line can work, mm. but in many cases, unfortunately, it doesn't. The, the real catch that I, that I came across um, and, and that was shared with me by workshop participants is to say, uh, Cynthia, the report is going back to the person who's responsible right. for the misconduct. Oh, what are the chances it's going to be fixed? Mm. Uh, zero. Now you're just uh, an informer. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, uh, let's, let's take, okay, we had Lesha on the line from Lichtenberg. Lesha, uh, call back 0891-104-207. Again, that number, 0891-104-207. What are my other options? Now, I, can, I, I, I could say no. I could report the incident. Um, but one of the things that you talk about, which I find quite interesting in the article, and I think that's something you have to do right from the beginning, right, is, is to set yourself up as someone of, uh, you know, high ethical standards. I, I think it's a, it's a fabulous defense. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that you can literally use ethics as a deterrent to this sort of problem. Mm-hmm. But you're quite right. It does mean that when you enter the organization, you're really very clear about 
that's not what I do. Mm. That that your whole, let me call it your personal brand, is ethical. That someone says, well, you know what? Don't ask no lady. She'll she'll push back. She'll say no. Mm. I promise you, she'll make a big stink about this. And and so I think that that is a very sound uh, defence, but it's not foolproof mm. because, and you know, I wish it were, uh, because. The person who might want you to, I don't know, commit whatever misconduct is within your range of duties might not even know you. Hmm. They're simply asking whether it's the HR manager in terms of that appointment. So they might not know you and hence they might not know your reputation. Uh, internally among the people you're working with, in general, it, it is a, it is a good, a good defense. And and a, and a sound brand to have. Mm. I, I take the point of saying that using ethics as a deterrent, if we take it a step further, when we stand together, when you and I are almost, if you want, informally part of the ethics club, mm. we're part of the ethics champions, but quite informally. Do you know what? If someone did try and, and really uh, mistreat you, I'd be standing right next to you. Right. And and I'm saying that, that in many cases, I'm not quite advocating that we form a little ethics gang in the organization, <laughs> but it's not a bad idea. I'm, I'm saying let's, in, in South Africa, we have so successfully stood up and, and offered a united voice for things that were wrong. Right. Why don't we stand together to maintain things being right? Right, and I want I want to talk about how we do that. I mean, how we how we portray that brand that you know um, Cynthia is of high ethics. She's not going to do what you ask her to do, especially if it's unethical. Um, how you start developing that that brand for yourself in the office? Um, let's hear first from Lesha in Lichtenberg. Lesha, good evening. Uh, good evening, my dears. Yes, thanks for calling. Wonderful. Um, I would just say. That's my uh, um, ethical uh, um, announcement would be that I respect and honor you as uh, persons with integrity and uh, that uh, the code of ethics is applied for medical profession where uh, everybody that uh, takes the oath at graduation mm-hmm. must uh, take the oath to save lives and uh, dedicate themselves to humanity. Mm-hmm. And it is a very inborn, uh, I would say, upbringing of a young person with a set of values, paternal, and uh, you get uh, patriarchal and matriarchal society. So you've got to have those parental instincts in order to nurture and to love and to preserve life. And then you've got the uh, code of ethics, the disciplinary code, which is used in industry. You get a letter of appointment as well as a uh, disciplinary code. And you get three warnings on the rock bottom line of every event that recurs that is negative to the company. Okay. And then you're out. Okay, let's oh. just stay on the line. I think, uh, I, I think Cynthia has a question for you, Pass. Yes. No, I was going to say that, you know, having a code of ethics, whether it is something as, as specific as in the medical industry or having a code of ethics in an organization, having the a disciplinary uh, policy which follows the law, that is all good and well. Mm. 
what we're dealing with is a challenging situation where leaders or people in, in positions of authority are going against that. Mm. Where it's being followed, of course, that's, that's perfect and, and one would wish that. So those are useful mechanisms mm. in terms of creating an ethical organization. But as the yes. classic one-liner goes, it's, it's essential but not sufficient. Mm. Yes, just a lot of input. You see, the overpopulation, unemployment, and equality is one rule of survival. But uh, then you've got to apply a dual a sustenance knowledge of uh, um, humanity to apply, not to be over-addressed, over-addressed, and uh, you must take... Okay, okay we've, just, we've just lost Alesha there, but thanks for calling in. Look, I think there's, 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 there's something that Alesha's talking about, and that's maybe the, the knowledge of, of some of the systems and, and uh, uh, values within each company, whether they are respected by leaders or not. Um, let's talk about the importance of understanding the ethics of your organization as an employee, firstly, so that you can become that, that, that champion that we talked about. Yes. I think that that ethics training within organizations, you know, mostly, well, okay, that's being too critical. Often, ethical training is not adding meaningful value. What this should be doing for your employees is giving them a real understanding of what does it mean to be ethical in this organization and and to, to build a really sound understanding and ideally to build the assertiveness mm. to allow you to then stand up for what's right. And and training is a is a very easy way of doing this. You know, we, we should be doing training in terms of, for example, skills development, yeah. levy and things. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a very legitimate process mm. that can drive this very effectively in the organization. Okay, well, you said it, it won't be such a bad idea to... To, you know, have a, a, an ethics club, <laughs> an ethics gang yes. in the workplace. Maybe you can give us a few tips on how you have that conversation with people. Because still, I could go to a colleague of mine and say, you know, let's 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 put our feet, our foot down, and decide this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. But that other person may be scared as well, and we'll talk about that after this. One hundred four point four, the home of SAFM in Durban. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It is the time of the year for all designated employers to submit their employment equity reports. Remember, online submissions opened on the 1st of September 2015 and will be closing on the 15th of January 2016. Submit on time to avoid penalty. Department of Labor, working for you. Your party is pumping. You've got a gazebo in the backyard. Your famous three-bean salad is the best you've ever made it. And everyone has arrived. But hang on. Who's this? Oh no, who invited Uncle Tubbs? And you can see immediately from the walk that's less swag and more stagger that it's not his first party of the day. You know what's coming. A little small talk and then boom. You've become a human ATM. Now would be a good time to find a dark room with a TV and everything SABC has lined up this summer. Like two broke girls on Mondays at 9.30pm, Nikita on Tuesdays at 9pm and Arrow on Wednesdays at 9pm. Find it on three. My name is Nomvula Mukonyani, Minister for Water and Sanitation in South Africa. Realities of climate change are upon us over and above us being a water-scarce country. 
Parts of South Africa are affected by drought, while some pockets are facing water scarcity due to the heat wave. I urge you in government, in the business sector, in the irrigation sector, in industry, as communities, and you as an individual, to adapt and use water wisely. Let us join hands to save water. Together, we move South Africa forward. You talk, we listen. Talkbacks on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It's 25 to 8. You're still on the talk shop on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Still chatting to Cynthia Skuman, um, MD and founder of Ethics Monitor. We're talking unethical behavior as an instruction in the workplace. So let's talk about what we can do. Um, you said uh, building a, a personal brand of you know, high ethical standards being something that's quite important. How do we do that? You know, part of the, the, the simplest way we do it is in terms of what we do hmm. and what we say. Clearly, they need to be aligned. But we can, in fact, be behaving perf- perfectly ethically, and no one might necessarily notice. Hmm. So I think it's not enough to simply behave ethically very quietly in your little corner or whatever. I think that we've got to use the opportunity to talk about it as well. I think that if it's not discussed... I think that it is certainly not moving forward. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll share with you a, a little something I've done with executive groups that uh, arguably was a little mischievous mm-hmm. to make exactly that point. And, and on various occasions where I was meeting with an executive group, I said to them, look, when we get to that meeting, would you please bring a few agendas from some of your senior meetings? Now, of course, I don't want the minutes. I just mm. want the agenda, mm. whether it's a, an ex-co board meeting or a yeah. whatever. Mm. And when I've got all the agendas, I spread them out, take a highlighter, hand it to the MD and say, find ethics. Mm. Now, <laughs> you can imagine that, of course, nothing got highlighted. And I said the point is not simply to irritate you. The point is to say that if it's not even on your agenda, Mm. you're not talking about it. Mm. And if you're not talking about it, it doesn't mean necessarily it's not happening, but it is not consciously happening. It's not happening in a way that that is intended to grow and improve. Mm. It's just something subtle and nice. Yeah, and so I think speaking out is is a really important point. Yeah, but you, you need the, the support sometimes of that club, especially as an employee. Yes, <laughs> it's such a it's it's such a funny idea. Yes. You know, this group of uh, employees deciding that we're going to, you know, stick together and be the ethical gang. Yes, I I mean, look, more formally, we would appoint ethics champions within the organisation. Mm. But, you know, let's assume, you know, the organization has sent, oh, I don't know, three, four, however many hundred people on an ethics program. I always say, look around you. Mm. Here are the people who will support you. These are the people you should stay in touch with. Right. Um, and you've got an incredible support base right here across the whole organization. Mm. So it's really leveraging the fact that, it is very tough to stand up against a, a boss who's demanding you do something unethical. But if you knew you had the support of a huge range of people within the organization, you would feel more empowered mm. to do so. Mm. It, it might still be a tough path, 
but you'd feel more empowered to do so. Yeah. What can be done by the general public, though? And the reason why I ask that is because, you know, unethical um, behavior in ac- across various organizations and many organizations in a certain country, in an area, even in uh, perhaps a community, um, becomes a sort of cancer within that area and that space. And, and people start to feel those tensions and start to see it. Um, and there's a sense that it is what it is. You can't really do anything about it. But it affects each little person um, in a really small or big way. We talked during that ad break about a mother of four children who has yes. to support all of these children and is in this really difficult position and is stuck because they have to take care of their family. What is it that the community can do? Again, I think standing up and standing together for what's right is is a hugely important step. But the coming back to your, your previous point, the challenge is when there is misconduct, when it's visible misconduct, for example, by someone prominent within the community, mm. I think it often can and does literally disempower people. They say, as you said, what can I do? Mm. But the challenge is the next step is that it tends to almost lead to what I call lowest common denominator mm-hmm. behavior. That the youngster is saying, for goodness sake, if that XYZ important person can behave like that, why can't I? Mm-hmm. And, and so mm-hmm. it becomes an example that becomes acceptable because it is being uh, you know, done by someone who, who holds a position of authority. Yeah. Yeah, just to take a look at a few SMSs that have come in. Um, good evening, that lady and your guest. Thank you for a very important topic. You're welcome. Kindly ask your guest to provide contact details, um, example, email, etc. Can we get in touch with the um, ethics monitor and what for? Well, you know, the we've got a very good website, www.ethicsmonitor.co.za, mm-hmm. um, and there's a huge amount of information on there, including the article that, that prompted this interview. Mm. Um, an SMS here that says, Hi, ladies in government, if you refuse to, get to, to, to do um, or get corruption, they, all, they will always find a way to get rid of you, but also if you agree, eventually the law will catch up with you. Shame. Poor government employees. And this is, um, yeah, a good point. Government being an issue, private sector being an issue as well. So, um, yeah, who do we call? Who's the best person to call? Corruption Watch? It it depends on the issue. You know, as I say, uh, within public sector, there is a a national anti-corruption line. Um, My understanding is that this does filter back to the source of the problem. Mm. And and then, if it lands up with the person who caused the problem in the first place, please let's understand the problem is not going anywhere. Um, They're going to find someone to blame. Um, So I think sometimes the external ones, I I do think Corruption Watch does very good work. Mm -hmm. And and I certainly think that they can be counted on to take an issue seriously. All right. Well, uh, give us the the email address for the ethics, the the website again for the ethics monitor. It's www.ethicsmonitor.co.za. Very easy. Ethicsmonitor.co.za. Cynthia, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right.